Welcome to Fate and Politics, a Taboo Table Talks podcast. Today, you'll hear from Deb Oskin and Mackenzie McDaniel as they discuss their faith, their politics, and the divide that has torn apart the American Christian faith. Ignoring problems because they're uncomfortable to talk about doesn't make the problem go away. On Faith and Politics, we talk about the uncomfortable and face the difficult. I'm your host, Thomas White, and I believe that Black Lives Matter, Common Sense Gun Control Can Save Lives, and Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Okay, we are live. Um, I'm not going to do more of an introduction other than say this is Deb Oskin and Board of Education member Mackenzie McDaniel. For those of you that are local uh, local to Henry County, you know Mackenzie. You may have even voted for him. So we're going to start straight with uh, Deb's question, uh, straight with Deb's story. Um, Deb, tell us a little bit about, about your background where you were raised, how you were raised, what faith tradition you followed as a child and young adult. Okay, I was raised in Northwest Pennsylvania, um, outside the city of Erie, uh, pretty close to Lake Erie. Um, So imagine the coastline of Lake Erie between Erie and the state of Ohio. That's about where I grew up. Um, My mother's parents were high Episcopalian, so smells and bells. All right. But they were very wealthy. So they only went to church on Easter. That's Christmas and Easter uh, because that's when wealthy people go to church. Um, I did not see really any Christian uh, behavior from them. My grandfather was a John Birch Society member. He uh, was also a survivalist. Um, my, my mother and her twin brother Um, and their sister all had boxes of survival food in their garages that my grandfather, um, forced them to have. He bought them, you know, survival food. We all had, we all had that stuff. I, none of us ever tasted it. We were not allowed to open those boxes until, you know, the, uh, imminent disaster arrived. Um, my dad's side of the family was Jewish. They were conservative. They, my grandmother kept kosher. She had two sets of dishes. Um, They went to synagogue every Friday. They lived in New York City on the southern tip of Manhattan on the edge of Chinatown. When the um, World Trade Center was being built, we were over there and uh, we went up to the top of those World Trade Centers many times when I was a child, not too far from where she lived. Um, She did not live there when they came down. She had moved to a retirement community up in Boston near my uncle. Uh, so I grew up, um, we, when we went to church, we went to a Unitarian Universalist church, which is, well, in, in the 60s, I'm, I'm 61 years old. So in the 60s and 70s, they were kind of the land of misfit toys. But the church that um, I grew up in, in as a child was part of the Underground Railroad. So um, we heard a lot about uh, Vietnam. We watched films from Vietnam. Uh, and we, there was a lot of social justice stuff in those, in those, um, services that we went to. And when I visited my grandparents in New York, they were all about social justice. They walked the walk, you know, they lived their faith. Um, my Christian, uh, side of my family, I didn't see much from them, you know, didn't see any Christianity really from them. Um, and so that's kind of how I grew up family wise. 
So one of the things that we're trying to do with this podcast, we're trying to reach people who have felt rejected by the church. Me personally, I've, I've had several stories of rejection. Um, we talked before the podcast began about a Black Lives Matter protest that we did in, uh, in Henry County uh, down in the square in McDonough. And I was told that uh, I was not a Christian because of this, that it was against everything that uh, Christianity stood for. Um, I've had people tell me that uh, if I didn't follow Donald Trump, then uh, I was going to hell uh, because Donald Trump is an example of what a Christian man should be. And uh, so that's the kind of just to show you the atmosphere of what we uh, what we face here in Henry County. Um, Tell us some of your stories. Tell us some of what you've been through uh, when you dealt with uh, some of the negative side of Christianity, because it's important that we highlight that. So many times we try to ignore it and pretend that it doesn't exist, but it's important that we highlight where the problems are at because there are so many people that have been uh, scared or rejected by the church or hurt by the church or members of the church rather. Mm. And they feel that pain and they're not alone. Uh, Us who the three of us can all would probably all describe ourselves as members of the faith as a, believers and but we have stories too so please share some of your stories with us well so um gosh you know the 60s in the north were as segregated as the 60s in the south um i lived in a protestant area there i think there was a black family in my neighborhood but they did not send their kids to my school um and so as the uh half jewish kid I was, I was it for the kids who wanted to find somebody to pick on. And uh, I guess around fifth grade, um, the son of the local police chief, whom I, ironically, my, my Jewish dad was really tight with. They hung out all the time together. Um, his kid held a knife to my neck in homeroom. Um, I don't know why, just to be tough, I guess. I think he, he was going to get rid of the... An actual the, knife? Yeah, he, he opened a pen knife, you know, from his his uh, his pants and he he held it up to my throat. And uh, I, I don't even remember what what the point of that was, but he did it for a while. And the other kids in class were like, you know, what, what are you doing that for? And you know, nobody really was really there was one kid who was kind of standing up for me. But most of them were like, you know, I don't really see the point of this. And I wasn't super popular. Um, in so school. you were half. Half Jewish. Well, I was kind of smart. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so there's kind of a problem there, you know. So basically, big, you quit. You questioned and went against the norm, so to speak. To yeah. Point. Well, and you know, here's I had this big vocabulary, and so I was super popular in debates and spelling bees, and then not popular in other, you know. Other parts as a veteran high school policy debater, I feel you on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, keep going. Tell us, tell us other stories of what you've experienced. Well, we've and then, a little so, bit about your yeah. So then like in junior high, I started dating and they started beating up my boyfriends because they, <laughs> just because they could, right. I don't know why 
I, you know, they just, cause they could. And then I started dating guys that are outside my school to give them less opportunity. And that worked out better. Um, and then like in middle, middle of high school, they found out that I wasn't a Christian. Whoa. It was like, cause I hadn't been baptized at birth the way most of these Protestant kids had been. Um, and I had actually been baptized at 13 because I'd been looking for God. You know, I'd been looking for God throughout, you know, like, I guess since I'd been about 10 or so, and I'd, I'd found this great youth pastor at an Episcopalian church and, um, I got baptized there. Um, but they forgot to, um, clean the baptistry. You know, they have these, these like marble pedestals in Episcopal church. And there's like a little baptistry there because they just, they just drip, right. They don't dunk or anything in Episcopal churches and they didn't clean it out for, so there were bugs floating in the water when I was baptized. Um, so that, you know, Hey, that, that disturbed me almost as much as everything else you've told they me. They were dead bugs, if right. that helps. Right. And then I was um, confirmed in that Episcopal church and my gra- my wealthy grandparents were very, very happy about that. But then, you know, the bishop smacks your face with his ring and my mouth was a little bit open. You could hear the sound all the way through the baptistry. And later I asked him what he was thinking about. And he said he was thinking about his golf swing. And I thought, hmm, you know, it was like a little disillusioned. And um, so, so, you know, then the church got rid of that wonderful youth pastor and they brought in something the grownups, somebody the grownups were happier with who wasn't really very great with youth. And so I fell away from that church. Um, So that was my like 13 to 14 year old experiment with Episcopalianism. So I was baptized then, huh? That brings you to high school where they find out you're not a Christian. They find, yeah, they find out I'm not a Christian. And this is like chorus and band. I was a big band nerd and core, you know, choir nerd. And we were taking trips and they were like, oh man, I can't be your friend. I can't hang out with you. I can't be seen with you. And I'm thinking, you know, this is not a town with a lot of traffic. (laughs) You've (laughs) known me your whole life. (laughs) what has changed all of a sudden you know like oh but you're going to hell and I'm thinking I don't really think so I remember I was raised Unitarian Universalist which means one God who loves everyone and accepts everyone and saves everyone and um and if I really believed that exclusionary belief then I would have to believe that all those wonderful Jewish people who walked their faith and did good for others were going to hell while so, all those Christians who did crappy stuff were going to heaven. Ah, I don't so think when so. they found out you weren't a Christian. Their first reaction was to tell you you're going to hell. You're going to hell. And not to tell you about Christ's I, love, not to tell no, you about no going to hell. And I can't be near you. They can't be near you. Yeah. Not trying to invite you in, but to tell you that you can't be near you. No, yeah. Going to hell and you're excluded. And then I guess they thought it over. They probably, what they probably did was then go talk to their parents who said, you need to save this person. And so when we got back from our trips, you know, you know, like to Chicago or New York or wherever we were going, I found them waiting for me in the stairwells of the high school with these great big, thick Bibles. 
And it was maybe five or four or five of them in the stairwells waiting for me between classes with these thick Bibles, sort of like, I remember them as being held over their heads. I don't know if it was really like that, but it felt really scary. I mean, even now. So that I'm, I'm sure. That's a long time ago, but it, it felt violent. Like they were going to violently convert me. Well, that, that doesn't work. God doesn't do that way. Almost beat Jesus into you. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Yeah. They were going to do it against my will. So I'm sure this affected your faith wall and well, your search for God because you were I, actively searching for God or searching yes. for the higher power, the belief. Well, I knew God was with me. I was looking for I was looking for where God was. I knew God was with me. I was looking for a place, you know, and I thought to myself, why would I follow? This is exactly what I thought to myself. Why would I follow a God whose followers behaved like that? And I still think that. I see you nodding, especially when she said God was with, with me. I'm curious your thought there. Um, well, I, I'm under the belief and the impression that wherever I am, God is with me. Um, no matter uh, if I'm on the airplane, traveling in my car, in my home, uh, God is with me um, because, you know, he's uh, not only is he omnipotent, but he's omnipresent. Um, so therefore, he's everywhere that I am. Um, and then you speak about the fact that I was looking for uh, I was looking, I think you said I was looking for God or where God was. I think that's what you said. I may have messed it up a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is, so, so I am, and I don't know if I could do this now, uh, Thomas, but yeah, I'll just, ahead, uh, I, I am what they call a Methabaptist. Um, my grandmother, <laughs> one of my grandmothers was Baptist and another, and another grandmother uh, was Methodist. I'm actually a CME uh, uh, preacher myself. Uh, so a Methodist preacher. Um, and so as I listened to what you were saying, Ms. Oskin, is that, you know, I think you were uh, stated about how they were going to beat Christ into me, um, which is something that even I as a pastor am careful of not doing is not beating um, Christ into people. Because the thing is that if you have a yearning and a love and a passion and a desire to really know who Christ is, then it's my job to, you know, have the conversation with you and help you to get there, but not beat it into you. Um, and so I think that's one thing that we have to be careful about doing is that, but at the exact same time, we have to remember the fact that, um, and that, and I, and I say it from this standpoint, um, that the Christ that we do serve, um, the, the, the one who died for all of our sins, um, it, 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 all of us have things that are not pleasing. All of us do things that are not pleasing. All of us say and act in certain ways that are not pleasing. Um, and, and so even if you look at, uh, Thomas, I think you talked about the Black Lives, Black Lives Matter movement, and you talked about how people consider Donald Trump as God. I think we have to be careful in the fact that we're trying to, uh, we're trying to uh, uh, compare someone um, a, a human down here on earth, we're trying to compare that person to a power that none of us can be compared to. We're trying to compare that to a person uh, that, that has done things, that does things that we are unable to do. 
And so therefore, I, I, I think that we have to be careful in that. Uh, we have to be careful in making sure that we know who we are, uh, who we belong to. But I think it's very naive of us to try to say, uh, when I look at Thomas White, oh, Thomas White is God, um, because that goes against what the commandments state inside of the Bible that we hold so near and dear to all of our hearts. Um, so for I, a disclaimer, I, I am not God, just to clarify. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Sorry, I no, could, keep going. No, so I could say someone is a godly person. Right, and right? that's the thing. You can say someone is a different godly thing. person. Yes. But, but my question is, even in saying someone's a godly person, what is a godly person? Um, because we are all sinners saved by his grace. Mm -hmm. um, and so therefore, what is a godly person? And that is really left up into the individual interpretation of the person. Yeah. Um, because there is no criterion, there is no checklist about what a godly person is. We can all say that we've acted godly or we've or we've done something that maybe God would have wanted us to do, feeding the homeless, clothing the naked, uh, you know, giving back to our communities. So that's really us discipling. That's really us ministering. That's really us witnessing to people and doing what, quote unquote, we say, thus saith the Lord. Um, and, and, and I think Thomas and Miss Oskin, as we have this conversation, I, my mind has drawing back to the time that we are in right now, how we are in a time in which there is a lot of vitriol, how we are in a time um, to where we have gone from the Obama years to the Trump years, now to the Biden years, and have seen this proverbial roller coaster in our politics, this roller coaster um, racially. And, um, and, and so I, I really think that, and this may sound crazy, and I should have been getting off my high horse with this one, um, I, I tell my young, my, my children, I have two boys and two girls, um, and it's a sad thing that I have to remind them that racism, discrimination, uh, and injustice is like the sun. It hides behind the clouds. And every once in a while, the clouds disappear and the sun shines. So every, so we have gone through a period in which the clouds has disappeared and we saw racism, we saw discrimination, we saw the vitriol, the hate, we saw it illuminated and, and the rage just permeate our land. The fact of the matter is, is that it does not matter in my book if you are Republican, Democratic, Independent, yeah. Green, Yellow, Blue, Black Party. The fact of the matter is, is that we are all human beings who have a different uh, uh, ideology, theology, mental state. But that does not mean that you're no more worse than I and I'm no better than you because we all have our flaws, we all have our faults, but yet if we really are compassionate about doing what's good for the common good, then we should be able to find the common space even amongst our differences to do what's right. And I think that's what's missing from our political scene, even uh, uh, if I can remember what Mitch McConnell said about uh, President Obama, how he was determined to make him a one-term president. Mm -hmm. I, I, I caution people that you have to be careful in what you try to say people should be and how you try to dig ditches for others, because you just don't know how much of a ditch you're digging for yourself. And you don't know the covering that that person has. Yeah. So with that, I'll back off and uh, Thomas and Miss Oscar. I think you. I think you. Well, first, please call me Deb. Yes, ma'am. Just being respectful. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Man, I miss it when my daughter used to say that. 
<laughs> he's known my wife for six years and he still calls her Mrs. White. I don't I don't know why. Uh, She's told him a bunch of times to call her by call him by his first name. He's a probably the most respectful person that I know. <laughs> so well, so um so I always had a sense of God being with me. Always. What I was looking for was a place where there were other people who had that same sense. You know, I was looking for the place where there were other people um, who's, who felt the same. The You know why we have so many different denominations is because we all have a different sense of how to worship. Um, we all do baptism and, and, um, we, and we do baptism, we do communion differently. There's all that, but then, and, but then there's also cultural issues in how we worship. There's also um, different stresses about what's important and what isn't important. I was looking for the place that was home, right? Um, and I was not sure it was Christianity after, after all of this. I mean, I knew it was God. I was not sure it was Christianity. Um, and I, I went to college and I met my husband and we spent about, he's a, he was raised Presbyterian. We spent about eight hours at the beginning of our dating life, talking about religion. And he was like all over this Christianity thing. And I was like, well, yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if you call it Christianity, it's still God. I don't know. And then I'm thinking, why am I putting up with this? This is kind of strange. Well, uh, you know, we, we, you know, hung it out, uh, dated for four years, got married. We've been married for 37 now. Um, he ended up uh, having a little government career in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where it turned out later on that uh, his uh, councilman boss went to prison for racketeering. But, you know, it's all under the bridge. You know, that's what happens. In We're both in politics, so we both froze when you said uh, racketeering. Yes, like... well, that's Pittsburgh, right. not Atlanta, right? <laughs> I don't know that that ever happens in any other <coughs> town. Maybe Chicago. You know, some of, of these towns are kind of known we, for this We've stuff. never seen any terrible thing in politics happen. Ever. No, of course not. So, you know what I mean. Exactly. No, I, I know exactly. You do what know mean. exactly what I mean. And he was, he's, he's, uh, he was placed there, you know, like in six month position. It, it was kind of a, you know, anyway, um, it wasn't a career. So he, he went back uh, and decided to become a minister. And I was, um, um, I think, there's a, there's a, there's a little story there. So he had lost his vision at age 16 and um, had gone to faith healers. This is before I met him. He was blind when I met him in college and um, we were in the kitchen and he was listening to a faith healer on the radio who happened to be a completed Jew, a Jew who had become a Christian, not converted, completed because Jesus was a, a, a Jew, right? who became a Christian, who, well, we call him a Christian now, but he wasn't actually, was he? He was Jewish. So um, anyway, I'm listening to this guy and he's talking in the way that I'm used to hearing my Jewish relatives talk, same accent, you know, same way of speaking. And um, my husband uh, calls the radio station and they tell him he has to go to church and they send him to, they direct him to this church that we have to go to. And he hangs up the phone and he looks at me and he says, we have to go to church. And um, 
I'm, uh, uh, I, I stand there and I feel all these walls come down. Now, who was that that did that? That, that was, was the church. God. That was God that did that. There was no person that evangelized me and said, it's time to open up, to go to church, to become a Christian, uh, to be willing uh, uh, to, to, to do all this. I mean, we, we actually got our, our next door neighbors in our apartment building in Pittsburgh to take us to this faith healing. And oh my gosh, Mackenzie, have you ever been to a, a, a city of Pittsburgh full gospel um, Pentecostal faith healing. It is something. And imagine that I wasn't actually even ba a baby brand new Christian. Um, uh, we had gone outside and uh, baptized each other out of water in a butter dish. You know, those little tiny right. uh, parquet. Right. And that's the baptism that counts in my mind. Right. Um, and then that evening we went to this full gospel um, Pentecostal healing service where they took my husband up on stage and tried to, um, I don't know, heal him by faith force didn't work um but there were people falling on the on the ground and squirming around like snakes and then speaking in tongues and oh my gosh it was kind of scary and amazing at the same time um pittsburgh is known for that uh full gospel kind of speaking in tongues pentecostal stuff sure. the long history there um Anyway, so then we went to this church that it that they, he had been uh, pointed out to, and it was a Church of the Brethren, which is an Anabaptist uh, church. And uh, we walked in, and the ladies were wearing these white things on their heads, and um, uh, there was kind of a gloom there, and we didn't really understand what was going on. But um, we joined the church, and um, my husband decided to go to seminary, and uh, I got involved in the church and trouble followed. And that has been my career ever since I belonged to the church of the brethren. Uh, I get, I get involved in trouble follows and I'm now ordained, uh, minister in the church of the brethren and, um, have been so since 2004. Uh, so what changed? God did it. And so whenever anyone says to me, we have to have vacation Bible school because who will bring those children to Jesus? Ah, not our job. That's God's job. God does that. It's our job to make sure that we are not the ones keeping people away from Jesus. I like the way you put that. I like the way you put that, that we're not the ones keeping people from Jesus. And I think that's what we're finding more and more. Uh, I won't even say more and more. It's been going on for centuries that we as Christians have been the biggest stumbling block to new Christians. Uh, we have, and I say we, I mean the church as a whole, we've done everything from uh, terrorize the Middle East to uh, burning people we believe to be witches on the stake to trying to justify slavery, especially uh, early American Christianity, trying to justify slavery, and then having not learned our lesson, trying to justify Jim Crow uh, with it. And, uh, and right now, justifying the erosion of voting rights. Right, yeah, you're definitely right. You're definitely right. I hear a narrative all the time that uh, 
Christians are persecuted in the United States. Uh, how? I have no idea how Christians are persecuted in the United States, but something that I have noticed more and more watching Christianity, we, we hear about uh, how difficult it is to get into heaven, the eye of the needle uh, parable in the, uh, or not parable, that was a saying that Jesus said, uh, something Jesus said about it. Yeah. Basically saying that only a few. I think what Jesus, this is my belief, what Jesus meant when he was saying that, he wasn't necessarily talking about uh, people that don't believe in God. Uh, that's the interpretation that I hear all the time, that uh, he was saying that few people will find Christianity and few people will get into heaven. That's the interpretation I hear. I think Jesus was more talking about, uh, especially considering the way he he addressed the Pharisees and the Sadducees so many times. He was addressing us now, other Christians now, saying, hey, you're the stumbling block. And if you think you're getting into uh, heaven without understanding my grace and what I've done, then you're not going to make it. So I think that applies even more to the people even less, to, I mean, to the people that uh, have never heard about the faith and don't. I think that applies to us who are causing problems for and keeping people from knowing God's love and acceptance. And now, the I'm going to throw them. a screw in here. I'm going to throw a screw in here. And I, I know, Mackenzie, I'm going to throw a screw right at you. Because I think that some of the problem is that our theology is too complicated. Yes, especially when you hear Jesus had two. He literally said there are two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Mackenzie, I see you unmuted, so I think you have something to add to this. So I And it's okay if we disagree. I want us to disagree. So Yeah. So I, 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 I I disagree and agree with the fact that we can be our own stumbling block. Um, there are many instances and many situations in which people have found God uh, because someone else saw, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, because someone else took the courage to say, hey, I want to invite you to church. I want to mm -hmm. invite you to come and fellowship with me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to invite you. And, and, and so because that person or persons or whatever took that leap of faith, because one, you have to, we all have to realize that asking someone to go to church for someone that is not quote unquote churched or asking someone to come to church who does go to church but has been hurt by the church that is a leap of faith because you don't know what the response will be from that person. Yeah. So therefore yeah. I cannot necessarily agree to the fact that we, that, that, that we are totally the stumbling block. There are many things out there uh, oh, no. that, that why, why people do not go to church. Um, you know, you may have these type of instances in which you have, and may, may God forgive me for what I'm getting to say, to where people sit at home and look at televangelists and then they're looking at the televangelists who lives this nice, prosperous, beautiful life and who has 10, 15, 20,000 members in their church and then going out and riding in a, 
a, a Bentley or a, a, a high-priced car, a Maybach, but yet your members in church are barely making their ends meet. They're living paycheck yeah. to paycheck, and you're not doing anything per se to really take care of those but you're taking money from those, but not making sure that those that you're supposed to be the shepherd of, that you're not also bringing, letting them know that, hey, look, this is not a one-way street. One thing I love about what God has enabled me and Tamika to do, who's my wife, is that out of the 15 years that we have been married, so I'm not at 37, I pray that I get there, but out of the time that we have been married and the time that I have been ministering, is that we have always realized that if God takes care of us and he supplies our needs and he undergirds us and he blesses us, then we have a right and we have a responsibility to bless others. Mm-hmm. Because I get my blessing when I bless others, but it's not for me to sit down and to be blessed and then see those that are hurting and then turn my eye away from them that are hurting. So yes, we can sit down and be our own stumbling block when we have this lavish lifestyle and everybody else is hurting. Or we can have the, we can be a stumbling block when you actually invite someone off the street, but then your members in the church are turning, turning their noses up and they're sitting down and treating that person like the ground that they drive on instead of being loving and warming and inviting and, and realizing that all of us have a hurt, all of us have a pain, all of us are going through something. And every once in a while, there are people that just need a hug and I love you and I got you. And that can, and that right there can change many people's lives to say, you know what? I found someone who cared for me. Let's be honest. Church is about fellowshipping. Church is about, you know, being like Miss Deb said, being around those that and we may not always be like you. Kind of speak your language. Kind of speak your language. And so yeah. therefore you have a warm and inviting church and people do not look at your outside, but look on what's on the inside, that's church. Because my Mm -hmm. outside can be messed up. My outside can be flawed. I can walk in with air-conditioned shoes because I have holes in them. But on the Mm -hmm. inside of me, I have God. On the inside of me, I'm yearning and I need something. So not trying to preach a sermon here, I can see how the church can be beneficial, but I can also see how we can hurt those that are trying to find Christ. Then we talked about, um, you know, you talked about, uh, uh, you said something about faith force. Listen, one thing I have learned about ministering is that you cannot force God upon people. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I've also, and Thomas, you asked me in a question about politics and we've been together for, we've, we've known each other a great long time and you've always made sure, and, and I've learned something for you is that I cannot force my political beliefs. I cannot force my political ideology. I cannot force that upon everyone else because everyone has their own mindset in mind and my process. And so you asked the question, how does my faith help drive my political stance? To me, it's very simple. If I do what God would have told me to do, and if I make sure the decisions that I make in the position that the Lord has allowed me to be in is not for the detriment of people, is not for their cast down, is not for their tearing down, but it is hopefully for their benefit. And that if I find the love in everyone, even if we may not agree, then I've done my job. Because even on the Board of Education, where I am proud, I proudly serve in Henry County with 
you know, four of my other colleagues, we may not always get along. And we're not going to always get along. We're not going to always agree on everything. Um, but if I can look at them and see the good in them and they can see the good in me, then hopefully we can make the good decision, even and even if the masses might not necessarily agree. You talked about voting rights. Look, we've been dealing with voting rights for a very long time. We 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 and I say we as in the fact that it does it, it's really not about. It, you can't say, okay, yeah, the minorities, we've been suffering through this for some long time. We've had to endure Jim Crow, but let's just be honest. Just because it may, dis, it may affect the minorities disproportionately, it affects everyone. Yeah. It affects everyone. Yes, it may affect us more, but it affects everyone because one vote that is silenced is a silencing for the masses. I, I wondered, and I asked God this question, God, where are you in this? Where are you in this voting rights mo moment? Where are you as um, people are being slaughtered on American streets? Yeah. Where are you when uh, insurrectionists are going to the United States Capitol uh, and trying to break in, and some did break in, uh, to stop a process that has been going on for centuries. Where are you in this? And even as I asked that question, God reminded me I'm right here. I haven't left. I'm right here. But, 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 but he cautioned me that sometimes things have to happen so therefore you can see my grace. The Bible reminds us that my grace is sufficient. And so I'm reminded of that. And I say that and I see Miss Deb kind of like, and I got you. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes we have to see the bad. So therefore we can see the good that's on the other side. I really think Donald Trump had to happen. So therefore we can see what we had and what is to come. I sometimes think that sometimes we've got to go through the trials and the tribulations of life. So therefore, we can be put to the test. So therefore, our faith does not grow weak, but our faith grows stronger. And Ms. Deb, you talked about faith. Sometimes faith is exuded. Sometimes faith permeates you when you go through the hell and the trials of life. And I think we all can say we've been through the hell and the trials, and yet we find ourselves there again. And that's how your faith gets stronger in God. And, that, and let's be honest, sometimes that's how you stay on your knees in prayer. Yeah, because if you've never been through a test, you'll never have a testimony. Miss Deb and, and Thomas, you know this. Um, uh, oh God, I just had it. and I think I lost it. Was it? Uh, come back to me on that one. I just lost it in my head. Um, but yeah, that's that. I I, I had it and I lost it. I, I forget. I know Deb wants hollows, to respond. Where grief hollows you out, so that joy can fill you. Now, like Deb that. wants to respond. Before Deb, before you respond, yeah, uh, I do want to uh, point out something that you said, um, and I'll leave for because I feel like you really want to respond to the uh, Donald Trump had to happen thing. Uh, so uh, before I, I don't before want I that go to, to be there, true, right? But I feel like it wasn't that Donald Trump had to happen; it's that we have political parties in our nation that are using rhetoric and talking points. You're muted, Mackenzie. You're saying something, but you're muted. 
we have political parties in our country uh, that are divide, they're using rhetoric to get votes. And that's why something like Donald Trump happened because they have scared people to the point. And when I, they have the Republicans uh, and not so much the Republicans because the Republicans, small government, limited government. That's I not get who that. they are. I completely, I completely understand that. But you have had conservative commentators and we have it on the left too. You have had conservative commentators that have gotten on the air and said over and over again that the Democrats are trying to destroy our nation. The left is uh, communism uh, and is going to destroy our nation. It's going to take it down the wrong way. And that's why Donald Trump happened, because not only are they saying this, but they're using the church. And I hear this. Franklin Graham's the worst example. They're using the church as a vehicle to push their rhetoric. And, 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 and do you know what's and interesting? And I, and I, people away. And do I you know what's to... really interesting? There are studies about, uh, uh, there are brain studies about um, the way people think and people who are conservative are more, um, uh, they're more, uh, they, they, they react more to fear uh, and people, and people who are, um, progressive um, don't react to fear. It's, it's really fascinating that there are, there are studies about this, that you can predict what kind of political, political stance someone will have based on how, off, how strongly they react to fear. Well, my, my two degrees, they're both in, they're both in a political science. McKinsey, you and I have the same master's degree. Actually, we both have public administration. My master's. husband also has a master's of public administration. There you go. One of the yeah. first things we're taught in our first political science class is the difference between uh, conservative and liberal. And conservative is reactionary. It is the reactionary movement into which you're trying to go back to a past. And for the record, my conservative viewers, uh, I know there are some of you out there. Your side of this uh, conversation will also be heard in three episodes. We will be having a uh, conservative friend of mine on to uh, kind of rebut what we're saying now to get your side of the uh, story. So don't think that this is uh, one-sided. Yes, I believe with everything that Devin McKenzie just said, but uh, you will also be heard here as well. With that being said. But we need to figure out a way to not be sides. Yes. That's the problem. Yes, because we're not, that's we're not enemies, but McKenzie, you were saying. Right, and that's what I was just going to say, and Ms. Deb said it exactly. It's, it's not about sides. Right. Um, everyone has their own mentality, their own thoughts. They're, yeah. they're, and, 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 I, and I get so, I mean, I'm a Democrat. Thomas, I think you are. I think I know you are. Um, Ms. Deb, you? Probably. Okay, well, it is. <laughs> But and so, and so here's the reason why I said that. <clears throat> Just because we may be professed Democrats doesn't mean that we can't that that we don't care about the Republican view, that we don't care about the people. And that is something that Thomas you brought out, and that's why I said Donald Trump had to happen because people have for so long thought that Democrats was against the people. You're trying to shove this down my throat. You're trying to shove that down my throat. And it's not that. When did we ever lose our way of saying, hey, 
This is your idea. This is my idea. Now let's see how we can make it everyone. When did we, when, when we started demonizing each other? I get it. I, it was a rhetorical question, but yeah, you're right. right. When we started demonizing each other. But, but, but the thing is, is that that filtrates, that permeates, that, 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 that demonization, it comes from whether it's in D.C. or if it's at the state capitals of each individual state, then it permeates down. But then we wonder why we asked, why we, then we wonder the question, ask the question, well, wonder why this is going on, wonder why that's going on. Look what we see every day. Look what is being, is, is being shown on an everyday basis. Those things, to Miss Deb's point, and I think Thomas even said it, it stokes either the fear of others and it gives them a platform to operate. You had Charlottesville. You had Charleston. We've, we have seen so many instances. I mean, and the list goes on and on and on from schools to just communities walking and going to McDonald's or walking inside of a Walmart or being at Bible study. Yep. But yet we didn't see any compassion towards those things. Yes. So as we talk about where we're at now, we have to realize, and sometimes you've got to look back in order to figure out how to go forward and and where you're going so therefore you don't repeat the exact same mistakes over again. And so it is my earnest prayer. And and, and I do this every time that I I go to our board meetings for our young children uh, here in Henry County. I always think about, and I always ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is the best thing to do? While I am in this position, make sure that I do what's right, that at night I can lay my head down comfortably mm-hmm. and not have to look on my shoulder and wake up and say, okay, well, did I do this right? And did I do that right? Yeah. But to make sure that I try to my best to calm the fear, to ease the people's pain. That's not a democratic idea. That's not a Republican idea. That is what we are called to do. And that is to be there for one another. If we want to sit down and touch biblically, it even talks about being thy brother's keeper. It talks about bear ye another's burdens. I mean, we can talk all these different cliches from out of the Bible, but really, what? when have we lost our human, our, our humanity? Well, that's, see, okay. So um, over the years, I've done a lot of training in consensus decision-making facilitation. A lot of people think consensus means everybody has to agree. That's not what it means. It's a process by which people make decisions and the process by which every voice gets heard. And so I can go into a meeting thinking I know exactly how I want this vote to come out. Well, it's not actually a vote, right? But it's still sort of a vote. Everybody has a, has a voice and they have a an idea of what they want the decision to be. But when you get into the meeting and all the voices are heard, then the group discernment, right? This is common in Anabaptist um, circles that there's a group discernment. um, And then the decision that comes out of the group discernment is often, often, in fact, I would say almost always different than what anybody, any individual thought it was going to be. And that is the work of the spirit. That is also the work of caring and loving for each person when you're listening 
to what everyone is saying. That is exactly what you're saying, Mackenzie. We walk in because we, and we do the work because we love each other. And we are willing to listen to the spirit. The issue that we face as Christians in this country, I have always thought the difficulty that we face as Christians in this country is that we are the majority, but we aren't. The majority religion is Christian nationalism. It's not Christianity. It's a, it's a, it's a, excuse my language, bastardized version of Christianity that brings out a golden statue of Donald Trump. Um, literally a golden statue of Donald Trump um, and says that this, this man who has had three wives and has cheated on every single one of them and has said vulgar, horrible things about every single person that he knows has not paid his workers, has um, mistreated his workers. Um, this person is a godly person. That's what Christian nationalism, American Christian nationalism says, that this is a person to look up to. You can see my screen right now, Deb, uh, mm -hmm. and for the viewers that are listening instead of watching, I, I pulled up the statue, the golden statue of Trump that they had at CPAC, um, and right behind it says, look ahead, America. And it's pointed to the golden statue of Donald Trump. And there's no history there. What happened after they made a golden calf and Moses came back down from the mountain? Oh, I thought, I'm sorry. I thought you were just, that was a rhetorical question. It is, well, yeah. semi-rhetorical. It didn't go well for the golden calf. Right, <laughs> right. It didn't go well for the Jewish people or for, the followers for the next 40 years. Who, who made the golden calf? Right. That was not the direction that God wanted. And that's the, the problem that we have here is that that is not the religion. That is not the God. That is not the Christ that we as followers of Jesus, the Christ are are sworn to follow. That is not. our. But Christ. It's like you said, it's the majority religion in the United States, not the belief in Christ for the Christian nationalism. And that has become synonymous with Christianity. It's not. To the point that people reject Christianity and the idea of Christ outright. And I think that's what we meant by being our own stumbling block. Uh, that we, we've adopted this bastardized version of Christianity. Not all of us, not all of us. But, but, but separating, separating our faith from that culture takes the realization that there is a difference between our faith and that culture. And when we can do that, then we have a way forward. What do you think, Mackenzie? I think I lost you for a minute. Hello? Hello, you're there. Yes. Okay, say that again. I lost you for a minute. What do you think on this? Uh, About what? Um, recognizing that the culture of Christianity is not the same as Christianity. That the culture, wow. That's, the that's, American culture. The American culture of Christianity, where we have the uh, golden statues of Trump at CPAC and 
people think this is a great idea and don't see a problem with it? Well, you know, I would sit down and say that there have been many other, well, I don't want oh, to say it that way. There have been many other instances, <laughs> I'll say it this way, in which people have tried to compare themselves to the Almighty. And it mm -hmm. has not gone well. Yes. Um, and I think that this is one case of self-indulgence, um, a, a case of idolatry that did not go well. Um, I will say that the reason why, I mean, yeah, I didn't vote for Trump. I, I, no, I didn't. Um, but I would love to listen to others as to why. I think that's a very important conversation as we do try to go forward. But I will say that during his four years, it really illuminated the flaws, the rifts, the cracks in this America that we all love and hold so dear. But it just, it, 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 it made us realize that there's still more work that needs to be done. It made us realize that laws and policies and procedures does not always mean that things are going to immediately get better. It made us, it made us realize that the only way that really we can come together as people through our differences, whether it's religious, whether it's uh, socioeconomically, whether it's uh, political, whether it's by the color of our skin, the only way that we can really get better is to see the good in one another. And I think that sometimes we have relied on state capitals. We have relied on governors. We have relied on presidents. We have relied on congressional members to do the healing for us. When really sometimes the healing has to start with us. So I say that the reason why I, you know, I, I, I think that the, that, that, the Trump years were just, they were a joke. It made a mockery of, 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 of what a president should be and how he should operate. Um, but I also think that it was, it was necessary for us to realize, yeah, we've come a long way, but God knows we got a long way to go. It was an awakening. And that's kind of what I call it that it was the great awakening for my generation, that it, it, it really invigorated us to say, you know what, this is our moment in which we as a people have can, can no longer sit down and say that it's up to grandmama and granddaddy, but now it is up to us to, to hold up the banner. It's up to us to carry the torch. It's up to us to get embedded into the things that we for so long say is the problem. If we recognize the problem, then the question is now, what are you doing to help be the solution to the problem? Yep. And, 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 and here it is. Now, Thomas, you might sit down and disagree with me on this one. And I love you, my brother. Here it is. I have, no, I have nothing wrong with the Black Lives Matter movement. But I do have a problem when you're raiding your own cities. I have a problem when you're burning down buildings and you're putting those that are barely hanging on to a paycheck and you're putting them out of work because you burnt down a building or, or, or because you're looting streets after street after street. 
I have a problem when we're walking the streets when a white cop kills a black man or a black woman, but yet we're not walking the streets when a black man kills a black person or we're not walking. The, I have a problem with that. Because the thing is, is that, yes, Black Lives Matter is bringing attention to the ill wills of what's going on regarding our law enforcement as in, as an interaction with African-American. And let's just broaden the scope with minorities in general, because it's not only happening to Blacks, it's happening to minorities. So, yes, we're having a conversation about that. But then let's have that internal conversation about why it's OK for us to not walk the streets. When someone who's just walking home, let's let's just bring it home down here for 285 near Grady Memorial Hospital. We have people that are just driving home and being shot and killed in their cars. Yeah. We have young women who are being taken from their home and being sex trafficked. We're, so let's have this conversation about we can't just sit down and march when a white man kills a black man or a black woman. We have got to raise awareness through it all. But you can't complain if you're not being a part or if you're not trying to be a part of the solution, if you're not going out and voting and putting the, in the right people in office. And let's just be honest, you can't go out and vote for someone who gives you a good 20 or 25 second sound bite. You've got to know the person that you're voting for. You've got to see them for who they truly and really are, because I can give you a fake facade to get your vote. We, you and I have both been burnt by politicians that have right. been there. Well, and I'm in, I'm in a gerrymandering. So, so can, we, can we even relate that? I think Ms. Deb talked about being burnt by the church. Yep. Sometimes the reason why some people become so disenfranchised and so, and so closed is because they're tired of getting burnt. I've been burnt yes. by the church. I've been yep. burnt politically. I've been yep. burnt on my job. And guess what? I don't have no more skin that needs to be burnt. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. So then what do we do to that person? And and and, and to be honest with you, to be honest with you, I don't have a problem with those that voted for Trump because guess what? You voted for someone, can I pick it back on you, Ms. Dale? You yeah. voted for someone that spoke like you, that looked like you, that had the exact same mentality as you. That's right. But I do not call But I don't get them voting twice for him. Huh? I don't get them voting twice. Well, you know, I, I the first time I get it, the second time I don't get it. But you, but you, you didn't just said. But you, but, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry, Thomas. I mean, because y'all forgive me. I'm sorry. No, I was cutting you off. So <laughs> it was my Yeah, fault. yeah, we were all talking over yeah. each other. So no, but what McKenzie just said, the mentality, and I don't think Trump actually believes the stuff he's saying. No. But he speaks to their concerns. And they are frustrated with what's going on. And he speaks to it and gives them a, a voice that amplifies how they feel. <clears throat> So, and so that's why they vote for him because it feels good. I get it the first time, but I don't get it the second time because he did nothing for them. But they believe no, everything no, no, he no. says. I, I just and so and so and so here here it is. And Thomas, I would love to be listen to your conservative person when he comes on. I would like to see yeah, him yeah. listen to this conversation. You know him. You know him. But um, oh boy. So here, <laughs> here's the you know thing. Him well, huh? You know him well. Hey, stop teasing. Come on, this uh, is our time. So, 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 so here's the thing. People may ask the question, why did you vote for Obama twice? He ain't do nothing for you. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled with him either. Here's my thing. When I started living my life 
And when I start making my decisions based off who's the president of the United States, who's my governor, who's my state senator, who's my state rep, who's my county commissioner, when I start relying on others, then guess what? I'm done. Mentally, I'm d- I've lost it. Because my life, my living is not predicated on what others can do for me, but what I can do for myself, for my wife, and for my family. I am the one who's ultimately responsible towards the successes or the failures of my family. Yeah, but it's a yes and. It's a yes and. It's it's a yes and. It's a yes and. But guess what? It starts right here with me. I know, but it is a yes and. Well, expand on that. Expand on the yes and. It is a yes and. They have expanded on the yes and. Well, because because if you if you have people in those positions, they can really stifle your ability to help your family, or they can really help your ability to help your family. I'm in a gerrymandered district. Um, I live in the suburbs of, of Columbus, um, but they have gerrymandered me so much that I cannot have anything but a Republican representative. If they don't reflect your views. No, no. And there was a year where I stood in a, a six hour line to vote and in a, an elementary school gymnasium and the other um, the other uh, precinct went right by. We were watching them fly on by and we were thinking, what the heck is going on here? Um, and we got finally got up to our gym and we had two voting machines and they had six. And so um, fortunately it wasn't, we are in Ohio where it isn't nearly as hot as it is in Georgia. But um, we remember that year. And I remember watching all those young mothers with little kids who could not wait in line for that period of time. And I was watching all those old people who could not wait in line for that long period of time. And um, uh, that's, a, that's another way of thinning out the voting rules, right? making sure that there aren't enough voting machines. I mean, that's why I mean by yes and. If you have people in those positions, they can make it more difficult for you to live your life. But, 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 here, but here's my rebuttal to the yes and respectfully. Yeah, sure. My faith does not rest on those that are elected office. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame and only leave on his holy, on him. I lean on him. I depend on him. And that's, that's what I want to really point out here. You are a progressive politician. And by the narrative that's being spun, you should not be a Christian, according to the narrative. Well, or, been a told that, right, or a politician for that matter. That I am not a, uh, I am not a Christian. So why is it that, why do you believe what you believe politically? How do you reconcile that with your faith? I'm going to tell you how I do it. Love. Love of one another. Love of one another. That's, that's the answer to it all about why I believe what I believe, why I fight for the causes that I fight for. Mackenzie? So... Yes, love. Um, I'm thankful for a loving family. I'm thankful for having grandmothers who kept me in church, 
whether it's Green Forest Baptist Church or Bold Springs CME Church, they kept me in church. It did not matter to me the denomination. It did not matter to me the, the title. That did not matter to me. I, I still care less about it now mm-hmm. um, because church is church. We all just worship and praise is a little bit differently. Um, but we still worship and praise God. So for me, I've always wanted to give back to my community. I've always cared about my community because my grandmother's always instilled in me that um, when you see someone down, if you can lift them up, if you can help them out, do it. If you see someone with a head hung low and they just need a hug, give them a hug. Time's a little bit different now, so I don't know if we can do it now. But back then, my grandmother's instilled in me that, you know, love is all because Christ loves me. Even in my sinful nature, even though sometimes I may give, I may, you know, do things that are not popular according to his will, he still loves me in spite of it all. And it was that love that drove me to serve my my country for 12 years. It was that love for my community that led me to serve as the police department for eight years. And it's the love for the community, even down here in Henry County, although I was born in Atlanta, um, do now serve on the Board of Education. Um, it, it, it is. Now, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't be a pastor. I shouldn't be a politician. I don't know what I should be besides just a, 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 a child of God doing what he asked me to do, even that, though that that's is unpopular. Um, doing what he asked you to do. Right. Do, doing what he asked me to do. So um, as long as I'm doing what he asked me to do, as long as I'm trying to do the best I can in what he's asked me to do, then I think that I'm, I, I, I think I'm good. I think I'm doing all that I, that I need to do. And so that brings us back to the core of it doing what he asked you to do. That is the motivation that if everyone had, we wouldn't have people that feel rejected from the church. We wouldn't have a society uh, that is dominated by this view of if you're a Christian, you have to vote for the right. Because the truth is, love is not going to have it to where you're turning around turning away social programs. It's not where you're going to have it, where you're not trying to help people. It's not going to be to where you're ignoring problems in our society because you don't want to confront them or you think other people should confront them. The love is going to come back to doing what God wants us to do, reaching out and loving one another, period. So let me tell you a story. Um, when we moved to Columbus, <clears throat> it was um, right after 9-11. Um, in fact, we were flying, we were living in Tupelo, Mississippi, excuse me, Tupelo, Mississippi. And um, that's how I was taught to say it. Uh, we'd been there for about five years and we were moving. Uh, we were flying up a couple weeks after 9-11 to look for houses. And uh, we're not sure whether the flights were going to be going or not, but we did it. We, we uh, did a whirlwind over a weekend and bought a house and moved up just uh, like the week before Christmas. And um, about a year later, um, as you know, the uh, Iran-Iraq war started. And um, here in Columbus, there's um, the Ohio State University, which is a pretty big uh, university. And there were about 25 or 30 different peace and anti-war groups. 
Why were there so many? Because they couldn't get along. They could not agree on anything. They didn't have any idea how to promote peace or be, uh, they knew how to be anti-war, but they didn't know how to be peaceful. So um, my congregation, um, uh, as Church of the Brethren, their historic peace church people, and in fact, there's a guy in our congregation who was part of the uh, March on Selma and uh, worked with Martin Luther King and spent his life developing Kingian nonviolence curricula with uh, Bernard Laf uh, Lafayette and um, uh, teaching Kingian nonviolence. He says to me, you know what they need is a non-resistant presence out there. Do you guys know what non-resistance is? It's a form of pacifism. Um, so where, so you just, you just don't re, you just don't respond. You just, yeah, you just don't, you don't resist, right? So it's where if, if he smacks your cheek, you give him the other cheek, okay? It's not, uh, there's no violence involved. It's nonviolent. So, um, so how did I went and I got involved in one group and they said, oh, we really need somebody from the Church of the Brethren because they're looking for, there were Mennonites in Columbus and there are Quakers in Columbus, but we're the only congregation of the Church of the Brethren. So they wanted all three to have like a collection, right? Oh, we already need, we need somebody from the Church of the Brethren here, here, here. So I start getting collected up right in these, in these various groups. And um, after a, a year or so, somebody says to me, uh, a Baha'i says to me, how do you, how is it that you're doing this? What makes you do what you're doing in terms of being active in these groups? Because all I was doing was being in the groups. That was my goal, just to be there um, and to be, to, you know, to show them what it could be like to not be angry. Um, you know what I mean? Just to just right. to not be angry. To not be and, angry. Um, that's, a, that's, a that's an idea. Thing right now. Just to be, uh, you know, non-resistant. And I, I spent about two weeks trying to come up with, I mean, I've been to seminary, trying to come up with this nice theological reason for why I was doing this peace work. And I came up with nothing, Mackenzie, nothing, nada. And finally, I had to say, you know, I have, I have hands and I have feet and I was available and the call came and I could do it. And so I went. Yeah. And that was that, that was my, and the longer that, you know, the more years that I've thought about that answer, the more, the more um, theological that answer has become. So we're, we're nearing the time to where I'm starting to get warnings about the recording. <laughs> so the recording link. So I need to, uh, steer us we're only i feel like we still have so much more to say and so i would like to have you both back again to talk more about this uh to continue this conversation but unfortunately apparently zoom has a limit on how long i can record so <laughs> i want to uh, learn right right i want to uh sum it up by saying this really quick um conservative liberal left Right, Republican, Democrat, middle, uh, middle, independents, uh, libertarians, the Green Party, whatever your political affiliation is, whatever your religious affiliation is, whatever, 
we almost all agree on the same things. Love. But we have been so torn apart by our anger and hate that has been stoked, in most cases, stoked by others, that we can't see that common ground. Love. We all want love. Most of us want to give love, whether you're a Christian uh, or not. No matter what you're, you could be an atheist, but you still, you want to feel and give love. When it comes to local issues, we all want to pay less property tax. We all want better jobs. And better education with less property tax. Better education. And we all want to, uh, we all want to be able to get down our roads easier without hitting potholes or running into traffic. We all want the same thing when it comes to local issues. But because we disagree on just a couple nationwide issues, people are using that to stoke and turn us against each other. And they're using the church as a weapon to do that. As a vehicle, that's right. As a vehicle to do it. That's right. So we're not just turning people from each other. We're turning people from Christ by doing that. This is not the message of the church. It's not the message of the left. And it's not the message of the right. It's the message of those trying to stay in power and manipulate us for ratings, for power, for money, how, whatever they're doing it, and turning us against one another. We can come to the consensus, as Deb said. We can come to the common ground. And there's a verse that Deb gave me that I want to sum up this episode with. Um, that de- This doesn't just apply, I think, to Christians. It's going to, because uh, we have lots of different faith traditions and Uh, listening to us right now. Um, And so I want to share this verse. It's Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. With all your heart whether you're searching for God, whether you're searching for truth, where you're searching for common ground, whether you're searching for love like we all are. It all comes to that search and we're all searching. And so that's the common ground that can bring us together. If we just put aside the anger. Thank you, Deb, for saying that. And uh, so just if you guys could give us some closing remarks, um, to close this out and we're going to have to do this again seriously because there's so much more to say i feel like we've only gotten into a little bit of it i did not know leading into this that zoom had a limit so darn it yes uh mckenzie deb just spoke so you go ahead and then deb oh, that's all i get no no no. you'll finish you'll finish for us mckenzie okay. go ahead sum up um i just want to say that you know this has been a very uh, fruitful conversation i enjoyed it all and i you know hope that we can have another one um you're right love. Uh, We've all got to have love. Love for each other, love through our differences, love through our similarities, Uh, love even when, you know, we don't think it's even there. Um, So we are a divided nation. Um, We are a nation that needs healing and peace. We are a nation that has seen the good and the bad. And we need to find a way to where we can see the differences in each other and still embrace one another. And say that I, I I I I still love you. I still care for you, and I care about your well-being. 
Um, but I think that sometimes the rhetoric, the tone, the tenor that elected officials put out there, it does stoke the fear, but also it can also stoke the faith. So therefore, we've got to find a way to stoke the faith and not stoke the fear in the words that we say. So thank you, Thomas, for this vehicle and this opportunity. Thank you, Deb, for being here. I hope that we do have another conversation because this was very uh, fun. It did seem like we just get started. So yeah. thanks, Thomas, for this. Thank yep, you, please. brother. This has been fabulous. You know, the big lie is scarcity because the Christ life is a life of abundance. Christ wants abundant love, abundant fruit, and abundant faith. And there's, whenever anyone says there's not enough to go around, you know that that's the lie. That's the lie. There's always enough. There's always enough. Thank you so yeah, much, Brother Thomas. Deb, thank you, Mackenzie, for both being here. I want to end with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The key, the beginning of that is for God so loved the world. He doesn't hate certain people. He doesn't hate somebody because of what they believe, how they act, uh, what their sexuality is, what their gender is. He doesn't hate, he loves. And he calls for us to do the same thing, to treat people the same way that he would treat people. And that's with love. And that's the key to this whole, to the whole podcast, to the whole episode. If you call yourself a Christian, make it mean something. And I'm not just talking about in your faith walk. I'm not talking about necessarily even your politics, your everyday life. Make it mean something. My name is Thomas White. You're listening to the Faith and Politics podcast, a ta taboo table talks podcast. I believe that black lives matter, that common sense gun control can save lives, and that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior.